Mm-mm-mm. Give me a second here. Got to have some more of this. Ooh, stock cold brew, not too sweet coffee. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, yeah, stock is uh, S T O K. By the way, uh, I really like. I, so I need to get into because this is <laughs> cold brew coffee. When you're not making it yourself is an expensive habit. Let's be clear about that. Uh, and the company that seems to be in most of the stores in New England is called Stock, S-T-O-K. I'm not here to tell you about cold brew coffee. We're, we're going to do a book review here. But <laughs> regardless, um, they do make a very unique uh, espresso uh, that has where they, they inject in extra protein and everything. I'd probably never stop buying that just because what a great combination. It's cold brew, espresso. And it has extra protein in it. It has like an extra 10 grams of protein, you know, per serving. I, I am all over that. <laughs> but eventually I got to start making my own uh, my own cold brew. I'll tell you what, if anybody listening to this has like a great guide or tip or, you know, tips and, you know, equipment that they use, whatever that they love uh, for making cold brew, you let me know because I need I need to get into this to, to, to do it. But, uh, boy, I love my coffee. Anyway, delicious. So, <laughs> all right. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here, sadly alone right now. <laughs> well, not sadly. I love being in the BDSM studio here. Uh, and, you know, there's really not room for more people yet. Uh, but maybe we'll get to that in the future. So, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> So I teased uh, last week, maybe it was, or no, 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 actually it was on Sunday uh, is when I did the review of the Duke Xbox controller uh, from Hyperkin. Um, I teased that I would talk about, uh, there was a couple books that I was going to do a review f- uh, reviews for. One of them was uh, Bloodlines of the Gods, uh, which is, or I'm sorry, Bloodline of the Gods by Nick Redfern. And the other is uh, by Carlo Ravelli, which is The Order of Time. Um, which is a book that both uh, Ellen and I have been enjoying. And actually, when Ellen was on um, the most recent Sovereign Tech Prime episode, that being episode 277, um, we got into a conversation, you know, herself, me, and and the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the boss. Woo! We got into a conversation about ancient civilizations, okay, lost civilizations, prehistoric advanced perhaps even industrial civilizations. We got into that whole conversation uh, there. Now, a couple things. I'm going to make one correction. First off, the story about Shoemaker, about Joe Shoemaker, was not from uh, James Gleek's Chaos. Though that's a great book that I should do a review on um, as well. It was actually from another book. I think the name of the book was like 30. It was a book that I had read recently. There's not an audio book available of it, Um, but it was a book that had to do with. uh, Well, it's in some ways similar to Bloodline of the Gods, and it's by a guy named uh, Ed Melkowski, which is not Markowski, Ed Melkowski um, called Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BCE, the history, technology and philosophy of civilization X. Now, it's a great book. I mean, I don't I don't think, you know, I get feedback from a lot of Sovereign Tech listeners where they say, you know, I just love your show and I don't agree with everything. You know, I'm not I don't agree with you 100 percent on everything. Um, but, you know, I love your show and, and I'd be scared if I did agree 100 percent with with anyone on anything. That is such the right attitude, because that points, of course, to your individuality. I love hearing that. 
I take no offense to the fact that most people, if anyone, agrees with me 100% on things. Um, I mean, even Stephanie and I don't agree 100% on things. I imagine there's there's points where, you know, Ellen doesn't agree 100% with me on everything and, and whoever else. So, you know, all of that, that's great. You know, and, and I like getting differing perspectives and ideas and thoughts and theories and, and what makes conversations between myself and say, like, you know, those ladies in particular always, you know, so fascinating is that we, we get to bring our different angles to the table. Um, but anyway, the, the you don't you know, any of these books that I read, I don't agree with 100 percent. OK, um, I'll say, though, that book Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BCE, which I should do a book review of as well, um, gets pretty close to the mark. And the reason I say that is, is because he doesn't go the direction that we're going to that is going to be explored in the book we're about to review, which is Bloodline of the Gods. Um, he steers clear of the idea of aliens and just says, no, maybe there's what this could be called civilization X. Now, I actually I'd really like to appropriate that term of civilization X to be the standard by which I describe whenever I'm talking about, uh, you know, talking about a prehistoric advanced civilization, like maybe, you know, a civilization that got to the industrial level, uh, or somewhere within the 20th century. Hell, maybe it got to technology, uh, you know, technological abilities from before the 20 or, you know, from after the 21st century, like, like te- technological abilities we don't even have right now. Maybe that happened. Um, the case I, I used to bring up, so I might, so when I'm referencing like an ancient civilization, I'm going to try and use the term civilization X from now on. I'm probably still going to have to caveat it saying, talking about, you know, perhaps ancient advanced or industrial civilizations, but I'd like to use the term civilization X going forward. Okay. And I will use that term. Now, when I say civilization X, I am not saying that there were aliens. I'm saying there was a ancient human civilization. Um, or at least an ancient earth civilization of some kind that, you know, because maybe it wasn't exactly Homo sapiens sapiens or something like that, uh, which will describe a little bit uh, when we talk about when we review bloodline of the gods here. Uh, but I'm going to use that term to reference that. So when you hear the term civilization X, that's what I'm talking about is a prehistoric as in before the wall of history, before the Sumerians or even before Gobek Gobekli Tepe. Uh, I, you know, a, a civilization that reached an incredible point of, a, you know, adv- advancement or an interesting point of advancement that we never expected. Um, you know, it, Atlantis, right? If it if it's real, could be called a civilization X. Um, I mean, Plato's description of Atlantis isn't as far out as you know some people theorize. Where oh, actually, Atlantis had nuclear power and all this stuff. I mean, Plato just described you know more or less a very beautiful, very Greek civilization uh, when he when he talked about Atlantis more or less, but. Other people go much further, but you could, you know, I think it's still kind of safe to, you know, that you could make a claim that potentially Atlantis was a civilization X. Anyway, links will be in the show notes for the ancient Egypt book, uh, 39,000 BC by Ed Melkowski that I mentioned, and also links for the book that we're actually reviewing, which is Bloodline of the Gods. Um, but these books, the book, the, those two books I just named are the outcropping of a very similar phenomenon. That I think is largely a good thing. Okay, now, like I said, I don't like the idea that and Bloodline of the Gods goes right into you know Nick Redfern. Okay, the guy that made or the, the guy that wrote the book Bloodline of the Gods, which came out in August of 2015. So it's got some years on it. 
uh, he he is one of the more popular figures and or one of the more uh, regular figures on the History Channel quote unquote documentary. I put quote unquote documentary series Ancient Aliens. Now, I think Ancient Aliens, which is in its 13th season, is very worthwhile um, to watch. Okay, it's it's there's interesting things. There are tidbits of fact that I think you get absolutely nowhere else that are, you know, I mean, they're oddities and they're intriguing and they're worth exploring more. However, their consistent answer that or more or less consistent answer, I don't think it was until like the 10th or 11th season where they finally said, you know, was this aliens? And then finally, for the first time, they actually the narrator answered with a no. <laughs> and it was great. It's like, whoa, wait, you know, I they're they're just dying to do that at some point, I'm sure after. I mean, it's amazing. The show's been going 13 years um, anyway. But, you know, they have the problem of where they just try to explain all of these historical oddities and mysteries away with the idea. Well, there were extraterrestrials that came to the earth a long time ago and it's them. They did it or they inspired the humans to do it or something like that. I consider that answer to be invalid. Like, I don't. We, and we talked about this in episode 277. Ellen brought up great points as to why that, that probably didn't happen. Um, you know, I, I did as well, Stephanie. I mean, we, you know, we all, we all kind of made the case. I mean, like, I think you really, you cheapen things and you ruin things when you bring up, you know, the possibility of aliens when it could just be ancient humans. There's really no reason that it couldn't be. Okay. Um, so that's my big problem with the show, but it's still exploring things that really no other documentary series I or, you know, quote unquote documentary series or that many other people wouldn't really take the time to get into. OK, so Nick Redfern is from that and, you know, from that lineage and Ancient Aliens itself is also kind of a byproduct of what these kinds of books like uh, Ancient Egypt, 39,000 B.C. and Bloodline of the Gods come from where they are. There's not a whole I mean, there's some new stuff in it, but they are really an amalgamation. These these kinds of books, Bloodline of the Gods included, is an amalgamation of a lot of other research done by people that get called ancient astronauts theorists or ancient alien theorists. Your Zachariah Sitchins, your Eric Von Danikins, your Emmanuel Vilikovsky's uh, or well, maybe Vilikovsky, not so much, but. You know, these kinds of characters, okay, Philip Coppins, even though he's not so much into, he wasn't, I mean, the late Philip Coppins, he wasn't so much into ancient aliens, or David Hatcher Childress and some of these other guys, okay. Um, is it William Brambley, uh, the Gods of Eden, that wrote that? You know, he was another another big character um, in all of this. So it's, it's in many ways, both of these books, and Bloodline of the Gods especially, because it, it borrows a lot from Sitchin, uh, and it and talks about Sitchin, you know, at length. You know, our, our amalgamations of all these different ideas, you know, from even from like Graham Hancock, right? Robert, uh, Robert, not uh, Robert Bouval, not Duval, not the actor, but Robert Bouval, uh, the Egyptologist, you know, and so on. And it, it takes a lot of their ideas and puts them all together. Now, I think that this kind of thing is actually pretty great. OK, especially in book form, because when it becomes a compilation of all these different ideas, like, I mean, these guys, they couldn't communicate with each other. I mean, they were doing all of this research on these historical oddities and mysteries, you know, for decades. And they 
I mean, you didn't have email. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have the Internet. I mean, yeah, I guess you could pick up the phone, but long distance was a thing and it was expensive. And usually they're already putting their, you know, whatever money they had on the line to even do this research. Uh, They couldn't communicate much with each other. So they're writing these books very independently. They're all working very independently as to where now with, you know, in the quote unquote information age now. You know, you can get these compilation books where they can take all of the interesting tidbits from each of these, uh, you know, ancient astronaut theorists and whatever else. And they can put them all together and then come out, you know, more or less come up with like a grand unified theory of their own. Now, again, like I said, I don't agree 100 percent with any of these guys. Any of them, you know, in the case of Nick Redfern, I sure as fuck don't agree with him about it being aliens. In the case of, uh, you know, Ed Melkowski that I mentioned, I have some issues there, but that's that's for when we're reviewing that book. Okay, Um, I don't agree with anybody 100 percent. Not in Sitchin. I I mean, and I knew Sitchin. Okay, and I don't agree with him 100 percent. I mean, he he was a friend. You got to understand. I considered him a friend. All right. I mean, I got invited to his funeral. (laughs) That's all right. That's the relationship. And, you know, this is, of course, that was back in 2010. Um, I didn't get to make it. But regardless, I mean, this, you know, this I'm just saying, like, I can be close to these guys even and I don't agree with them. And that's OK. They don't mind. They know I don't, you know, and, and, and it's all right. So anyway, I say a lot of this to make it incredibly clear, OK, that I am not espousing what ancient aliens talks about. I am not, you know, the show I am not espousing the ancient astronaut theory or the ancient alien theory, whatever you want to call it. Um, I am not espousing the idea that aliens have ever been to Earth because I don't think they've ever been to Earth. I will proudly espouse that humans deserve a lot more credit than they've been given and that they are still being given, especially by people in the libertarian community who think that everybody before the 20th century was an idiot. Okay. Um, You know, like IQ is such bullshit. (laughs) Uh, um, you know, I, I think I think that there were, you know, you had Civilization X. I think that there were ancient humans that did remarkable things. OK, that I espouse humans, not aliens, just humans. All right. Or something along those lines, you know, that 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 originated on Earth was on Earth. Now, before we start getting into Nick Redfern's Redfern stuff, I want to bring up. I mean, look, I've been espousing this idea that I just described for a long time on Sovereign Tech. I mean, a long time. Okay. And a lot of people ask me, well, where's the evidence? Well, in episode 277 of Sovereign Tech, we talked about how, or, you know, at the University of Rochester in this, you know, theoretical paper, uh, you know, out of the International Journal of Astrobiology, that we wouldn't know, like all signs really would disappear on a long enough timeline. Okay, and I think it doesn't even have to be as long a timeline as that. And this is I've brought this up over and over again on Sovereign Tech. Whenever we start talking about augmented reality, zero UI, okay, or what I call hooey, (laughs) hands free UI, because it is hooey, Uh, um, you know, and and also, you know, going to thin clients, everything being stored on servers, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, everything being plastic or you access information through a little device, either a wristwatch, you know, a smartwatch or your smartphone or something like that. How long would it take? You know, if, if a civilization got to the point where all of its data and everything that it created, all of its art, you know, all this stuff was just being done digitally. Yes, it can just disappear. 
in one fell swoop. I mean, if it's all in one central server or something, and like if the way they interacted with the world was through augmented reality, sure, you'd see no signs of what they had, you know, and maybe they were like, uh, you know, maybe they bought into environmentalism and they're environmentally conscious and they made like, you know, biodegradable uh, homes and all this shit. I mean, like there's a lot of really easy explanations with stuff that, that exists today that could explain why you see no signs of, you know, an ancient human civilization that could have reached our, even just our level of technological advancement today. Okay. So that's, that's been my argument for it. And and in fact, I've even argued that maybe their technology survived at some points. And this is, you know, like the augmented reality or mixed reality, uh, uh, parts of the technology. And that's where you get all these crazy stories of, you know, like magicians making, you know, or whatever, magi, I should say, you know, and and all these whatever people, you know, making all these hand motions and it it actually made something happen. And, you know, and that's because the hand motions was just a zero UI, you know, and they had some kind of technology for that. I mean, it's theoretical, but it would explain where you get like all these tales of wild creatures. And it's like, well, where are these wild creatures? But they describe them so vividly. It's because they weren't real. They were just mixed reality creations and they didn't understand that. Okay, so that's part of my argument for for why I think it's entirely possible that there was a civilization X. All right. Now. Bloodline of the gods does not really spend any time describing that, but I wanted you to know where I stand on these ideas and why I research these ideas, because I'm always looking for when I read these kinds of books, even though, again, right from the get go, I disagree with their premise that it's aliens. Like, right from the beginning. Why do I still read these books? Well, first off, they can actually be genuinely entertaining. I mean, they can be a lot of fun. They can be they can have better storylines than the bulk of science fiction that comes out today because the bulk of science fiction that comes out today is shit. All right. Um, fortunately for all of us, we have, you know, 100 years worth of science fiction or actually even more, uh, you know, if you want to go really far back. Um that that we get to read and that most people haven't read, but we get to take it in. I mean, how lucky are we? So anyway, uh, so I, you know, I read it for entertainment, but also I'm always looking for, okay, what new research, what new little oddity did they, historical oddity did, did they find that might point at, instead of aliens where they go, but might actually point at Civilization X. That's why I read these books, okay, is because, well, as I say all the time on Sovereign Tech, first and foremost, me, Brian Sovereign, age 37 now. Holy shit. (laughs) Thank you for all the birthday wishes, by the way. Me, I am first and foremost a gamer. Secondly, I'm a historian. Armchair, but I'm a historian. I was going to go to, you know, I did start going to college for it, but anyway, that didn't work out. Uh, And and I'm glad that didn't. Number three, I'm a tech journalist. Okay, so those are where I where I rank my that's how I rank myself. Okay, you understand. So history, very important thing to me. And who knows, maybe I'm actually working on a book that gives a a history of Civilization X and I'm just trying to put all this together. Anyway, regardless of that, um, why don't we start talking about the book? Because I've already been talking 20 minutes. (laughs) We've barely talked about the book, Uh, even though there's not. So, again, Nick Redfern, I told you what he's known for. He's an author. He writes for a bunch of different publications. Um, He's I want to say he's not as crazy as some can be. Okay, in the ancient astronaut theorist community, Um, he's when you see him and here he's I think he's British. Uh, when, When you see him and hear him talk on the show Ancient Aliens, 
very unique look. He actually he looks like Nosferatu. He looks like a vampire. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, and he has you know he kind of has that British uh, an odd odd bit of a, of a British accent to him. Not, I'm not saying British accents are odd. They're not. Um, but his comes off as interesting. Granted, I have you know I have American ears, so who knows? Uh, anyway. He's not as, I mean, credible either as maybe some of the other guys would be. I mean, he's no Sitchin. He's no, well, Von Daniken goes in weird places. But I mean, you know, he's, he's not one of the bigwigs, certainly. Uh, but anyway, th- this book, Bloodline of the Gods. So you know about Nick Redfern. There, there's kind of his, his background. Um, it is, this isn't, like I mentioned earlier, this is a compilation book. Okay. I, in short, I'll say this. If... Really, it's a, like a 23 chapter book. Only four chapters out of those 23 are really worth their salt, are really worth like even reading. OK, now I was fortunate. This came out recently in audiobook format. Like I said, it came out in 2015, but an audiobook more recently came out. And actually, speaking of Sitchin, I just noticed that in January, actually so far in 2018, there have been two books that have been released from Zachariah Sitchin's Earth Chronicle series. I haven't listened to the audiobook of the 12th planet yet. And I don't know how well that would work in audiobook form because Sitchin has a lot of diagrams and a lot of like pictures of, you know, of ancient texts and, and, and all that and tablets. Um, I'm not sure how well it would work in audiobook format, but I am interested to hear that. But you might want to check those out if you're into audiobooks like me. Anyway, I'm very fortunate that I listen, I, that I, because I, I perused this book in the past. Okay, but it was a long it's it's I mean it's not a long read. It's it barely 300 pages. Okay? But you know, it's something where I would have had to invest a lot of time to really sit down and, and actually read. It's to where when I listen to an audiobook, you know, I can knock out an audiobook in a few hours. Like you sometimes even 2 or 3 hours. In fact, I think I knocked this one out in like 3 hours. Okay? Um so, you know, I'm glad I listened to it as an audiobook because if I took the amount of time that it takes for me to actually read with my eyes a book, Uh, I would have really felt like it was a waste of time. Like I would have been pissed off. Okay, I'm not saying that the book is necessarily bad. In fact, maybe it's only a waste of time for me. I'll explain why. But anyway, there's four chapters. There's like two chapters in the beginning and the two chapters at the end that hold any interest to me personally. Okay, Uh, again, I'm somebody who doesn't believe in the whole alien aspect of this. Okay, I just think it, you know, whatever it is, maybe human or something like that. But but this book is is has an interesting, unique premise to it that I've never read anywhere else. Okay, but the all the chapters, the other 19 chapters in between. Are. Well, or 18, whatever you know, there, it's a lot of review of, say, Sitchin's theories about the Anunnaki. Okay which I'm not going to cover here. Um, it, you can find out about, you know, the theories, the alien theories around the Anunnaki. Uh, I mean, you can find out about those all over the place, you know, very, very easy to find out. But basically the idea is that this planet Nibiru sweeps in every, what, 3,600 years or something. And it's the home world of this, you know, group called the, or the, this alien race that gets the name Anunnaki and the Anunnaki, you know, alter humanity to be their slave species. Okay, but Nick Redfern puts that's Sitchin's theory, you know, and and it's he makes an interesting case for it. Okay, and and like I said, I don't agree with the alien aspect, but there's a lot of points to that Sitchin brings up that I think are fascinating and are not explainable away. 
by, uh, you know, really by much of anybody like that. They need to be taken notice of. And I've brought it. I've brought up Sitchin many times. And I, I even like started a hashtag that was Sitchin was right <laughs> because like whenever we're searching for another planet in our solar system and things like this, it all becomes very interesting stuff. Some of which Nick Redfern brings up in Bloodline of the Gods. Anyway, that so he gets into that. He explains all that away. Um, maybe I'll do a review of 12th Planet uh, in the near future, too. OK, but anyway, uh, that way I can go deeper into what I think actually, you know, the Anunnaki are, etc. But anyway, Redfern gets into that after the first two chapters. This is all this is the middle ground that we're talking about here. OK, uh, the first two chapters is his initial premise, which I will talk about in a second. Then he gets into alien abductions. You know, like, I mean, you know, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, right, in, in Lancaster, New Hampshire, uh, you know, which is kind of like the first major alien abduction story, at least in the U.S. Uh, and then he gets into, oh, what else? Um, then he gets into, like, you know, reptilians, black-eyed children, okay? And I'm not going to spend any time really talking about all those things. But he spends a lot of time, you know, getting into some of these other more... <laughs> X-Files style stories okay through throughout it and that's just really boring to me now thing is is that if you are new to you know UFOlogy and or ancient alien theory and stuff like that that might all be very interesting to you because he does a pretty good job of compiling it all and trying to create like I say this kind of this grand unified theory of ancient aliens more or less uh, I mean he, he really he really does uh, so but to me, you know, that's all old hat. I've been reading that stuff since I was a teenager. You know, I read The Twelfth Planet when I was a teenager. I mean, I, I've been reading this stuff forever. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's not, it, it's like, oh, come on. All right. Yeah, let's get past this. I mean, he does it uniquely to try, he brings all of it up to try and prove his initial premise, which has to do with typo negative blood. Okay. So, I mean, he has a point in bringing it up. But it really just feels like a lot of filler. Like I said, really only the first couple chapters, like everything before he's, he gets into the Anunnaki and then everything after I think he talks about reptilians, which give me a fucking break. Uh, that that's where the interesting things are brought up in this book and the very unique things. And I have to give him credit. He comes up with a very unique theory. OK, and he explains it pretty well. Like he his his science at first is really solid and it's very engrossing. Like he wrote this book in a very smart way. He doesn't start with the beginning of time. He starts at the beginning of his premise and then kind of, you know, builds out and then then goes back to, you know, the Anunnaki and then keeps going up and up and up throughout history, uh, you know, until he ends up. With, OK, what does this all mean now? So his initial premise, let's talk about this. His initial premise is that you have humans. Humans have, you know, what? however many different blood types, right? You have the, I mean, the four main, you have, a, you know, O, A, B, and AB, okay? But then within that, you have what? You have O positive, A positive, B positive, AB positive, and then you have O negative, which is the universal donor. Um, then you have A negative, B negative, and AB negative, right? So you have these blood types, Okay, and he makes a historical case for how important blood is to uh, historically, you know, like like how that's it's long been uh, a concept throughout human history of the importance of blood. And even today, I mean, you could look in, you know, in Japan where like dating sites and everything, you know, blood type is a huge thing. They, they consider it. They almost treat it. It's like an astrology thing where they treat it as, oh, this explains your attitude. This explains this, blah, blah, blah. And that's been a huge thing in Japan for thousands of years 
or well, I'm not sorry, they didn't know about blood types thousands of years ago. But the the idea, the abstract idea that your blood was, you know, determined things for you has been around for a good long while in Japan. OK, uh, whether they knew the, the exact science of it or not, that's a whole other story. People can get into I Ching and everything. I mean, that that's that that's a whole other aspect. So but just to explain my point um, is that, yes, cultures have for either hundreds or decades or thousands of years, you know, pick your time frame. Blood is considered very important. Um, you can and Nick Redfern's bring, brings this up, you know, uh, rightly, I think that when you look in the Bible, you know, the Judeo-Christian Bible, um, blood is an incredibly important part of the story, you know, and it really is. It comes up a lot. And and I mean, there's whole laws, you know, made around it and everything. Um, he even to his credit, he brings up the Noahide laws, which I thought was was very you don't get that talked about much. No, not a lot of people know about the Noahide laws. If you want me to talk about the Noahide laws sometime, of course, understand I'm ethnically Jewish. So I, I get a lot of, you know, I've heard about a lot of these concepts, but maybe Christians or cultural Christians had never, you know, heard of these sorts of things like the, like, you know, the seven Noahide laws, um, you know, feel free to, you know, ask me about it and I'd be willing to talk about it. So his, his premise is around blood and namely around Rh negative blood that is in people that are either O negative, A negative, B negative or AB negative. Okay? That these people, his his claim, okay? And this is within those first couple chapters that are very interesting. His claim is that Rh negative blood humans are actually the they're they are the descendants, like the ones today, okay? They are the descendants of a couple things. One, they are the descendants of Cro-Magnon man, not Homo sapiens sapiens necessarily, but Cro-Magnon. OK, which Cro-Magnon people, you know what? You lose them around 40,000 years ago. You lose Neanderthals around or 40,000 B.C. You lose Neanderthals around 30,000 B.C., something like that. Right. So Cro-Magnons were a separate type of Homo sapiens. OK, uh, you know, and then they're a very early type and they're known for a few things. One is, is they didn't have the sloping brow like Neanderthals, okay, so they didn't necessarily look funny, not necessarily, but they were very large, they, on average, they, you know, their average height was between six feet and seven feet, as where Homo sapiens sapiens, the average height is more between five and six feet, okay, so they're, you know, head and shoulders above, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, the Homo sapiens as we know them, um, and so there's a claim of that, that they're tall, they're also usually very, you know, the, the claim is, is that, you know, based upon the bones and everything that we found of them, the remains that we found of them, is that they're very powerful, they're very strong, broad chests, the whole thing, okay, uh, you know, they're big people, and also, now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're smarter, and like I always say, the concept of IQ is largely bullshit, okay, they were also, they had a larger brain cavity, they had, lar they had theoretically larger brains, Okay, and so one could argue if a brain is bigger, does that mean it's smarter? No, not really. Okay, Nick Redfern is making that that equation, okay, or you know is equating that, but that's not necessarily true, right? Like, I mean, a blue whale isn't smarter than well, as far as we know, isn't smarter than a human. You know, <laughs> like brain. I don't think brain size equates to intellect or you know in, into um, you know abstract intellectual ability. Okay, I don't think that those two match up. So there's already a problem with what Nick Redfern is, is kind of claiming because he's starting off, like I said, with, you know, Cro-Magnon man is this really important thing, this, you know, superior human species. OK. Um, and as to where, you know, that claim alone, I mean, maybe physically, sure, that that that's I think objectively could be shown. 
And certainly they're superior in that they're, you know, like say physically they're taller and whatever else and maybe stronger. But as far as being like mentally superior, well, that's a specious claim. But regardless, that's his claim is that Cro-Magnons were somehow superior. Now, his claim goes further to say that Cro-Magnons were uh, potential. Well, he gets into the Bosque people in like the second chapter. We'll talk about that in, in a second. But basically that you know, that Cro-Magnons were either the product or that they were used as the template for creating for the Anunnaki to create this worker species of aliens. Now, he gets into a lot of high drama in between all this, that there was, you know, and Sitchin would do this as well, um, that there were battles, you know, with like civil wars effectively within the Anunnaki themselves. And sometimes there were civil wars between you know, what do we do with this advanced species, this hybrid species that we created? Um, and he gets into like, I mean, this is all stuff that Sitchin has covered before. It's old, it's old hat. But the idea, and this is what's interesting. And like I said, folks, you know, I'm not here to give you like, this isn't necessarily a Cliff Notes version of, of the book. You really should read it for yourself if you're intrigued by what I'm talking about at all. Um, you know, again, whether you're like me and you think the whole alien idea is bullshit or if you do think the alien idea has validity, maybe it's more interesting to you then. Uh, and also, this is a great introduction to ancient alien theory, like I said, uh, you know, if you needed an introduction uh, by now. So bottom line being is that, you know, RH negative people, OK, are actually aliens. They are they're they're a hybrid of like a human an Earth species mixed with a shit ton of alien DNA. Now, one of his arguments for this, amongst others, okay, or to, well, there's two, there's two big arguments that he makes that, that stand out. One is how if you have RH, if a mother, okay, has, if a woman has RH negative blood and the male that say she, you know, that they have intercourse, they're going to have a baby, blah, 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 okay, that impregnates her has RH positive blood, Okay, as in he's A positive, B positive, AB positive, O positive, whatever. But she's, you know, either O negative, A negative, etc. That potentially the, you know, because the mother has that negative, or I mean, if one, I think it might even be if one of the partners has, neg, you know, has a RH negative blood, that Stephanie could explain this much better, that it can kill the baby. Like, pretty much the, the RH negatives have a you know one the claim that gets made by Nick Redfern is that our neck Nick Redfern is that the RH negative humans even though they're not exactly humans by his claim is that they it can keep them from it can keep uh, RH positive people from uh, you know from breeding from uh, <laughs> from their, their population growing by killing off a baby that potentially has you know RH positive blood instead of RH negative so, you know, I mean, that like that's an, I mean, and, and that's true. Like it, that's that's actually very true. I could have Stephanie come down right now, you know, and explain it. And that does happen. Of course, now today with modern medicinal technology, you know, it's not guaranteed uh, anymore that that occurs, you know, that, that the baby would die um, because of that, you know, because of that mixture between a RH negative parent and a, you know, RH positive parent. Uh, but it does occur. Now, the other kind of point that he brings up is the Bosque people. Okay. And the Bosque people are, they are this, they're people that it's a culture and I mean, a genetic heritage of people that live in Bosque country, which is this area that's kind of shared with France and Spain historically. 
Um, the interesting thing about the Bosque is that they have, and, and a lot of this part is true. That's what that's what made this book interesting, is that the first couple chapters, he's laying out some, you know, what's considered largely historical fact, genetic fact, etc. cetera, uh, other than, you know, the alien aspect or the, uh, you know, the alteration aspect. But he doesn't get into that exactly. He just starts making his case saying, well, this is, here's what we know about Cro-Magnons. IQ notwithstanding, here's what we know about RH negative or about, you know, blood types and everything and what it can cause when they're intermixed. Here's what we know about. And then he goes into the Basque people who are this very unique culture. In fact, there's a lot of I mean, they, first off, they have a high instance, the highest instance in the world, apparently, of RH negatives. OK, that natural that quote unquote naturally occur. Um, and also like their language is has no origin point according to a lot of, you know, uh, linguists, you know, historical linguists. Um, like it has, like nobody can, it's not Indo-European. Nobody knows where the hell this language comes from. So, of course, Nick Redfern gets into the idea that, well, that's because their culture and their language and all this is descendant from the aliens who, you know, it took Cro-Magnon man. I mean, because then he goes into how the Basque people are really beautiful, blah, blah, blah. You know, he goes into like this whole thing, a lot of which... You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's conventional ideas of beauty, but historically those conventional ideas shift. Right. So it's a very subjective thing. It's kind of a weird thing to base stuff on. But whatever. He brings the point up, etc. Um, and so he hinges a lot on this idea of the Basque people, that they are the remains of this Cro-Magnon alien, you know, alien slash Cro-Magnon experiment. OK, uh, now, if when I if I bring up Cro-Magnon man at some point in this and I end up calling them Cro-Mags, don't mind me. I am an old school science fiction guy. I'm a fan of the show Sliders. And if you remember in the 90s science fiction show Sliders, uh, eventually, I think it was when the Sci-Fi Channel picked it up that they brought on the idea of the Cro-Mags, which were this, you know, they were like from another dimension or from from an alternate dimension, not another dimension, but an alternate Earth dimension that were the Cro-Magnon man actually was very advanced and they are. You know, Cro-Magnons are kind of the the enemies of, you know, of the sliders. OK, in that in that show, which is interesting because that kind of plays on the idea that, oh, you know, Cro-Mags, maybe they were some kind of superior. Thing. I, but anyway, that's science fiction. And, and that show is, well, that's not everybody's taste, at least certainly the later se- seasons weren't so much. Um, but if I call them Cro-Mags, that's because in the show sliders is what they call the Cro-Magnons. They call them Cro-Mags. <laughs> so, OK. So there's this. So there's the basic idea is that uh, humans with RH negative blood are actually a completely separate race and they are the descendants of this ancient alien worker program, Uh, even though it gets a little more complex than it just being a worker program. But that's the basic idea. Okay, Um, so, you know, according to Nick Redfern, if you have RH negative blood, as in if you're a negative, B negative, AB negative or O negative. Uh, which is interesting that the O negatives particular, like he makes a big case about them, partly because, yes, everybody knows they're the universal donors. OK, but also it's odd that O negatives can only get blood transfusions from other uh, O negatives. Right. Like, like I mean, they, they even though they their blood works with everybody else, it doesn't work the other way around that way. Um so he makes a special case about the O negatives. And when he starts going through the, you know, through history and everything, he's pointing out how many like uh, how much royalty, how many famous people, you know, celebrities and world leaders and all this all have or not all, but many have RH negative negative blood. So that's part of his, you know, that's backing up this idea that the RH negatives 
are like this other race. And he's kind of arguing that they're superior. Now, interestingly, he never says what his whether he's RH negative or not. He brings up that Eric Von Daniken is RH negative and he brings up some other people that are RH negative. And then he gets into this. This is where we get. So there's your like your first two chapters that are very interesting where he's making that case. And he more or less says that he thinks in the future, eventually we're going to find out that this is fact, that RH negatives are actually aliens and that there is going to be a race war between the RH negatives and the humans. Okay, he never brings up what he is. He never explains. So I don't know what angle he's coming from. I suppose maybe I can look it up and it would say, um, but he does mention that Eric Von Daniken is O negative. He does mention some other people that are O negative that are doing research in areas that bolster his point. And this is where he gets into like a, what are perhaps the wilder abilities of RH negative people. Okay. And I'll describe those in a second because one of them is important or one of them is kind of interesting. In fact, it's even more interesting as of the day that I'm recording this. So myself, if you're wondering what blood type am I? Um, well, I'm O negative. <laughs> so obviously I'm reading this book and I'm going, well, that's nice. <laughs> you know, right? Like that. Okay, I'm not only uh, I'm not, you know, according to this book. And again, I don't believe it. But according to this book, I am not only an alien, but I'm also like in the royalty class, you know, of these aliens. And yeah, I mean, for me, like I have certain biases within this. Right. So like I'm ethnically Jewish. Okay, And even within Judaism, I come from a pretty special class. All right. Uh, I come from what's known as Konim. Okay, which is this really. You know, I mean, you can be a Levite, you know, which is the priestly class under Judaism. Okay, like kind of it's kind of the 13th tribe, as it were. Uh, But then even within Levites, there is a upper class within Levites, which are known as the Kohanim, which means you're a direct descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Okay, Um, and I'm a Kohanim. So like hearing. (laughs) You know, reading this like, oh, well, you're in the special class of people. And hey, you're even in a you're you're in the upper crust of the special special class of people. Even, you know, it's like, well, okay, I've been hearing this my whole life already anyway. But so so it did kind of tickle some of my biases. Right. Uh, (laughs) But I, I don't you know, don't don't misunderstand me. I don't I don't think this is actually a thing. It's interesting. I mean, the case he's making about, you know, what's this deal with O negative people and Cro-Magnons and all that. I mean, there's. Well, let, let's talk about the abilities of the Cro-Magnus, but it, it is interesting to think about. OK, but it does get into a real racialism. And I mean, if, if you know, you could only imagine what a group with the abstract attitude of the Nazis would do with, like, say, the knowledge that Nick Redfern has, because their claims would be very similar. Right. Well, anyway, let's let's talk about, you know, and, and that's dangerous there. I mean, that, that's that's concerning. I mean, you you know, you tell people that's that that they're superior and a lot of them. How do they react? Well, then we need to get rid of the inferior ones and make the world for us, uh, which I know I don't get it, but I I can understand to some degree in the abstract sense where people get that idea from, because, look, the world is made for the average. And when you're above average. You know, once you realize when people realize people that are actually above average in whatever aspect that happens to be. OK, I'm not making an argument of racialism. and I'm sure as fuck not not saying that, like, I'm empathizing with Nazis or anything like that. Obviously, I'm not. I'm, I'm a fucking Jew. OK. Um, 
But when you when when people come to the realization that the world that one of the major problems with the world is that it's built for the average. okay, it's not built to uh, bolster the exceptional or even to help the perhaps unexceptional to help the poor or something like that, but that it's just meant to maintain the status quo and it's just meant to like be the best for the average. Great example. Scissors are made for right handers. Right. World's made for the average. Okay, Uh, that's one where like you get it. There's an economic sense to that. And you could say there's economic sense to all of it. But then, you know, is that really like a good thing? That's another argument entirely. Okay, but when people realize that, uh, then, you know, they can get mad about it and they might want to try and do something about it. And it may, you know, end up in violence, which is where I can't agree at all. Okay, Uh, so anyway. Yeah, I could see where people would want to run with this. I haven't seen any groups yet who are like, well, we're the RH negatives. We need to do something before the RH positives do something about us. Okay, Uh, let's talk about the abilities. Then I want to talk about why he thinks this race war is coming in the future, because he actually makes a pretty interesting argument for why that is. All right. So the abilities that he claims, and this is where it starts to get into supernaturalism. And and I just, you know, again, you lose me. You know, you start talking to aliens and the supernatural and, and I'm lost. Um, He gets into the idea that uh, RH negatives have psionic abilities, you know, like certain telepathic abilities, maybe even like almost hypnotic abilities at points. Um, He gets into. uh, Boy, what else? Uh, You know, he talks about how they're generally like larger, more muscular, and it's easier for them to build muscle, things like this. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm reading that. I'm going, oh, well, hmm." (laughs) you know, because I'm I'm a pretty big guy. Uh, But anyway, you know, I'm six foot one and all that. So, like, you know, that would fit in with his Cro-Magnon narrative and everything. And he talks about how they're generally smarter, uh, significantly smarter, actually, not just generally smarter, but significantly smarter than the rest of the population. I mean, he goes down this whole list of things. Okay, um, of these greater abilities that RH negatives have. Again, where do I stand on all this? Yeah, it's interesting, but nah, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Okay, and me particularly, like I should be loving this. I should be like, well, fuck, this is describing me to a T. I'm even, you know, like I said, I'm type, I'm O negative. Um, I am. You know, I, I've, I've got this ability, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't argue that I'm more attractive than people. I'd argue quite the opposite. I'm an ugly motherfucker. <laughs> okay, but I've, I've got a face for radio, baby. <laughs> but, but regardless, you know, all right, whatever. And so, but then let's talk about what he gets into with the race war and why he thinks that this is going to happen. He makes a very great point that if you found out that, like, say, the ancient alien theory were true, even though there's a point in the book that he bring, where he brings up what actually Sitchin and Von Daniken and a lot of other ancient uh, alien theorists would bring up, that just because ancient aliens made humans doesn't mean that supernaturalism, that there isn't a God, that there isn't an ultimate creator, because he would argue that the Anunnaki seem to believe in an ultimate creator. Um, I would disagree with that, but regardless, we'll keep going. But he said that if you, you know, if you make the claim that aliens made humans what they are, then you would crush, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and a bunch of other religions. And when you crush people's religions or when you disprove them or even when you mock them or make fun of them, 
ugly things can happen and things get violent. Okay, people die. And sure, historically, that's true. And even in recent history, Charlie Hebdo, he he brings that up. Uh, He brings up, you know, a slew of other cases where and it's not just Muslim cases either. There's there's Christian cases where it happens, etc. And, you know, one only needs to look at Israel, Palestine and there's issues, right, (laughs) to say the least. You know, I'm, I'm being that's a very gentle term for me to use. So, you know, people take religion really fucking seriously. And if you try to, you know, if you bring out substantial claims or substantial, you know, being just joculent about it, you could die for that. And so if suddenly it were proven that there are a bunch of O negative people or, you know, that there that RH negatives were was this alien race, um, you know, people aren't going to change their religion. They're going to get rid of the evidence, which that's historically proven that people will do this, Christians or otherwise, they're, they're going to get rid of the evidence that that that's true. No, they're not going to they're not going to change their religion. They're going to change you. And if they have to, they're going to off you. OK, now, that's not the only point. He, he has a two pronged point of why he thinks there's going to be a race war. The other thing he brings up is the Ebola outbreak of 2014. And this is and he has he has other examples, too. I'm just giving you a couple of them. OK, uh, but he makes a very interesting case why he thinks a race war between aliens and humans would actually happen on the planet. And he's talking about, you know, the Ebola outbreak in 2014, where he says, look, he said there was only four people in the U.S. that that were diagnosed with it. Only one of those four people died. The other three made a full recovery. And and he, he, you know, he makes all the examples and the cases and quotes and, you know, from papers and everything. I mean, they there were people were clamoring for the city of Dallas, which is one of the areas where, you know, where this is this is going down to be quarantined the whole fucking city. Just on the just on the you know claim again, only one person died, you know, and I know Ebola is serious. I mean, no doubt about that. I I get it. But how much more serious is when you find out that there's an alien race among you, right? (laughs) And he's saying he's like people will go to crazy extremes. He said, and they're either going to you know put you in internment camps like the Japanese or like how FDR wanted to toss the Jews in Oregon. Yeah, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wanted to put the Jews in Oregon. Oh yeah, he really saved my fucking ass. You know, I mean, it's it's it could get ugly and his case is a good one. Like, it's a very interesting and I'm just giving a couple examples. He makes a very interesting case. Why just the claim alone, you know, could 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 incite wild violence and shifts in how, you know, people that are, you know, just going about their everyday lives, like, say, myself, um, you know, would 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 get locked away or killed or who knows what. So and I never like this is the thing, because, I, you know, I've read like these horrendous books like White Power by George Lincoln Rockwell, you know, a lot of this American Nazi shit and everything where they're always saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're just a step away from a race war and all that. And their arguments are always so much bullshit, like they're always so much crap. But he he did, you know, when they say that there's going to be a race war between the blacks and the whites or, you know, whatever it ends up being. But the. The the kind of the, the case that he makes, he has pretty good evidence for why he thinks that this would happen when it's something that extreme where, no, it's not even that we're all human, because that's a narrative a lot of people accept today. Thankfully, guess what? According to Nick Redfern, we're not all human. And then you're going to run into a whole other issue, you know, and, and so so it's, it's an interesting claim that he makes and an interesting case that he makes with all that. Um. Beyond that, you know, I mean, the, the RH negative stuff, I mean, this is the problem, is that the the middle of the book 
is just a lot of rehash and I think a lot of very questionable claims over abductions and all that. And the reason he brings up the abductions is he's saying, well, it's because, oh, the people that were abducted had RH negative blood, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, he has a reason for bringing it up. But it, it feels like a lot of filler and a lot of rehash with his own little personal spin on it. And I'm not saying that's not important or that it's not valid to be in the book. But for me, it was boring stuff. All I all I really wanted was like the first couple chapters and then the last couple chapters to make his case. And those four chapters are very interesting. I don't agree with them, but they're very interesting in, in the case that they're making. And he does a pretty good job. Nick Redfern's obviously not a stupid person. OK, at least not entirely. So, yeah, if you want to check out this book, I mean, you know, you can read it and, and get into all of that. Um I mean, why don't I think that this is true is that there's not enough evidence, you know, that RH negatives are some kind of. Well, first off, I don't think there's any evidence that aliens have been to Earth. Okay, so that part of it, that initial part of the premise is already problematic. Okay, but the idea that somehow RH negatives are some kind of special version of humans, I'm not necessarily like opposed to that concept, but also I need a lot more. I need a lot more. Okay, and like I did, I'd even especially if you're making like this idea that they're advanced or genetically altered. Well, then you got to you got to prove, you know, a civilization X to me before I go walking around, you know, making this claims that that I'm something special. Right. (laughs) Okay, so uh, so it's interesting, you know, and it's one of the I'll, I'll give it this. It's one of the better ancient alien books and one of the more original, at least with the first for or with those four chapters that I mentioned, the first two and the last two, uh, it's one of the more original ones that I've read in a long, long while. Um, also, I do want to give him credit, like with the abduction theories and everything else that he talks about. He does make this book pretty sexy, meaning that he uses a lot of the very and obviously because we're talking about procreation and propagation of, say, the the RH negative species. Uh, he keeps it pretty sexual, like he gets into a lot of sexuality and and you know sexual encounters and everything even though some of that could be rapey yeah, or, or actually yeah he gets into all that in this and so like that makes it a little more engaging right because we're talking about sex and of course that that peaks up everybody's ears whether they hate it or or they don't or they love it um there's a point where he starts talking about reptilians i want to address this for a minute and he makes it very clear he's like hey you know a lot of these claims are crazy about reptilians. He tries to go middle of the road with reptilians. He says, but then there's some where it's like, well, what the hell is that? And I get some of the cases that get brought up about reptilians. Okay. First off, like I don't, you know, cause this is one of the first conspiracy theories I ever encountered. And I encountered it as a teenager. I've told the story before, um, on this show as well as on, uh, actually when I was on school sucks, uh, with Brett, you know, I've talked about it. Um, I, I mean, the, the claims that Jews are lizards. Oh, <laughs> just stop. I have fun with it. I joke about it. OK, that I'm a lizard and all that stuff. I'm not. All right. Of course, that's exactly what a lizard RH negative lizard would say. Right. <laughs> that's part of the royal O negative class. I, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> It's so crazy. Anyway, he gets into some of that and like he gives a couple of specific cases where people are having sex with the reptilians. In fact, there's this one woman that he talks about in it where she is a musician and she wrote an entire album about her love affairs with this reptilian and she's being dead serious. But a lot of the abduction cases that he brings up and everything, I mean, I just, I think, you know, as far as my take on the whole UFO abduction, uh, alien abduction stuff, 
and and I, it's not a uni- unique take on my part. I really do think. Okay, first off, I'm not opposed to the like. All right, what do I think about UFOs? I guess I should explain that quickly. Okay. I think UFOs, some of them are legitimate, but they're not alien. They are government projects. I I absolutely believe that. No, I don't think I know what's at Area 51. I've talked about it on Patreon episodes. Okay. Um, Well, I don't want to say I know. I mean, I know it's been. Well, I know it's been there. Okay. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm telling you, there's not aliens at Area 51. Let's make that clear. Okay. I do think that there are a lot of advanced technologies that the U.S. government and maybe in conjunction with other governments have de- has developed and that they have tested in the skies above various parts of, you know, the U.S. and the world. Um, I'm very open to that. OK, uh, I mean, I'm open to other explanations as well, but they are all human explanations, not aliens. There's not somebody coming from, you know, Alpha Draconis or Sigma Draconis or whatever. There's not people coming from Syria or Sirius B. There's not people coming from, uh, you know, uh, Proxima Centauri, whatever. Okay, there's not, you know, Proxima B, right? There's there's not people, there's not aliens coming from other worlds or whatever. That's not what the UF, what UFOs are. A lot of them are fake. You can prove it. But then there's others that, well, it's not so easy to disprove them, okay? and But I think that it's, you know... I'm kind of going Occam's razor on it, but I think it's just their their government, you know, it's government uh, experiments. That's all that it is. And that's I think that can be a lot of it can be. So like even with what was done to the humans, that those could be, you know, to the people that claim to be abductees is it could be some kind of government experiment. I have no problem, you know, like believing or finding out. uh, I mean, I have a problem with it, but I don't I have no problem with with believing that that's what they are. But it seems pretty clear, especially when some of the cases that Nick Redfern brings up as far as abductions go or like sleeping with reptilians, when it's happening to women that are like 12 years old or, you know, and then it keeps happening over and over again, blah, blah, blah. Like, I I really think that that's, you know, people are having psychotic breaks and they were raped as children. And it's really sad. And I think that's true for a lot of alien abduction cases. Um, And it's very tragic. Uh, and you know, if you encounter somebody, cause I have, if you talk to people who make that claim, if, if they claim that they're abducted or they've been abducted over and over again and they've had sex with aliens, believe me, I've, I've talked to these people, um, ask them like the first question to ask if they're, if, and usually they want to tell you, they want to talk about it, ask them when it happened at first. And if they say it happened to them when they were like a teenager or even in their twenties, um, just, just try to be really empathetic with them okay don't you know it, it's it's a tough conversation to have because when I hear that I mean that's just instantly what comes to my mind uh, and sometimes it's pretty understandable because conventionally these could be beautiful women that this happens to and you could understand why that you know I mean not understand why you could see why why it happened you don't you don't want to understand it because fuck those people that that do anything to ever harm a child um but, you know, just be empathetic with them. Don't make fun of them because they're obviously already having issues with their traumas. OK, and and that that's what I really where I really think that comes from. And Nick Redfern really should have brought up that possibility that that's what's going on um, instead of trying to take it so seriously or use it to bolster his book. Uh, like, I think that's pretty bad form on his part. 
So the abduction stuff, I think, is is pretty much meaningless. He could have he could have gotten away with explaining. He wouldn't have had as large a book as he did, but he could have gotten away with explaining a lot of what was going on or a lot of his his initial premise without going there. But he goes there. What are we going to do? Um, it would have been interesting if he had an alternative theory to bring that up. He didn't necessarily try to disprove. You know, you always great science. You always want to falsify your claims. Some of it he tries to falsify, like some of the initial stuff. But once he gets into the Anunnaki and the abductions and everything, he stops trying to falsify. And I think he should have continued to try to falsify, maybe reference Civilization X. What if this is like an ancient human thing? Maybe do stuff like that. And he just wouldn't go there. Maybe that doesn't sell as many books. I could believe that. Okay, and he was just, you know, looking to make a buck. I can understand that, too. Um, But. Yeah, that's that's where the book comes in at a, at a weak point. Like I said, the, the entire middle of this book is is pretty weak and kind of meaningless. But the first the, the first two chapters and the last two chapters are dynamite. I mean, it's it's really thought provoking stuff and it's not enough, but it's thought provoking and, and it, it makes you wonder and it makes you think, um, you know, about all of that, uh, because I mean, you know, I don't put any, you know, I'm not like the Japanese. I mean, I've been to Japan many times. I have tremendous respect for their culture, uh, as I do, you know, just about any culture, just about. And, you know, I I know how seriously they take blood. I don't take it that kind of seriously. But, I mean, it does, you know, there are questions to be asked of how, you know, why did these, you know, why did O negative, you know, evolve to the degree that did, et cetera. I mean, like, there's, there's really fascinating stuff there. Okay, so, you know, something else I didn't mention or that I said I was going to mention and I didn't get to, and I want to get to it very, very quickly, okay? Um, Nick Redfern, when he's talking about the abilities of the RH negatives, he gets into this idea of genetic memory, which you might, if you're a science fiction fan, you might remember that term used in Stargate SG-1 to describe uh, the Gould, okay, which the larval Gould, that kind of looked like snails, which is interesting, okay, and you'll, you'll hear why. So he gets into genetic memory, and the idea is, is that like guys like Eric Von Daniken, who have done so much to purport um, and push the ancient you know, astronaut theory, ancient alien theory, and all that, his claim is, is that why Von Daniken is so good at actually finding all these places around the earth and like figuring all this stuff out is because he's just remembering it. Like he, like he has some genetic memory from his RH negative alien ancestors. Okay. That's passed down to him. And he's, he's just like rediscovering it as he goes along. Um, and now at first blush, like the concept of genetic memory would seem to be nuts, right? You know, the idea that just because of your, you know, your your blood, just because of your genes, okay, that you can remember things from the past. Well, here's something interesting (laughs) that might point in the direction that that I mean, I don't think Eric Von Daniken is remembering shit from the past. Okay, I I don't. Um, Me personally, in my own experience, I've had moments where I feel like I know something that I never learned and that I there's really no good reason that I should have known or that I figured out or that I, like I knew ahead of time and that, you know, later on would somehow be proven right scientifically, logically, whatever. Okay. I've had those moments where I felt that, you know, but I'm not going to tack on that somehow I have genetic memory or anything like that. It's I, I chalk it up to fortuitousness, nothing more. Okay. Um, but the idea of genetic memory got a little bolstered uh, this week, you know, and we're we're here at the beginning of May to or middle of May 2018. 
And there was a there was research done that pointed it. It was done on snails, of all things, kind of look like the Gould, right? <laughs> but at the University of California in L.A., um, and this was published in E-Neuro, which is a, a paper, um, there was research done that showed that if you transferred. So what they what what this what the scientists did was they or what the researchers did is they shocked the tail of these snails, okay, of, of a series of snails. They then, and I forget what the exact number of them were, but, you know, I mean, this is a pretty straightforward experiment. Um, and then they pulled the RNA, okay, or they pulled some RNA from the snails that were shocked. They then injected the the RNA into snails that were not shocked, okay, and and they did this, you know, where, where they also did the reverse, where there were snails that weren't shocked. They pulled RNA and then put it into snails that equally were, you know, new snails that weren't shocked. So they put it into the new the new group of snails and the ones that had the RNA put in them that were from the snails that were originally shocked. They like their, their tail, they, they scrunched their tails in for a significant amount of time as if they were injured. As to where the ones that the the snails in the second group that were injected with RNA from the snails from the first group that weren't that their tails were not shocked did not, you know, scrunch in their tails for the significant amount of time that the shocked second group or, you know, the the second group with the shocked RNA uh, uh, did. And so it's pointing at a theory that memory was transferred through RNA with these snails. Now, it's just done on snails. This, you know, if, if memory is somehow, you know, I mean, which this has been talked about for a while, that memory is an RNA. In fact, if people remember a great, one of my favorite uh, movies, actually, but it's a television movie, but one of my favorite movies, Knight Rider 2000, there was this process where you could, like, uh, read the RNA on a person's, like, a person that was recently killed or, or that was injured, and you could see what happened to them, etc. Uh, so this idea has been theorized for a while. But actually, it's more than just I'm being very basic in it because it's not just the RNA. It's actually, you know, some of the synthesis when when it happens where that is being stored, but it's transferable with RNA. Um, Maybe we'll talk about it on a future Sovereign Tech or on a on a Sex and Science Hour or something. Because Stephanie, I'm sure, you know, would would, would break it down uh, in, in a much better way than I can. But anyway, bottom line being is that it would appear there's a hint here that memory can be transferred genetically or well not genetic but i mean through like through transferring rna now is that something does that point at there's this ability to pass stuff down to you know from one generation to the next it points in the direction that it's possible that memories are at the very least transferable biologically okay you know according to these snails if that's true there's still a ton of research that has to be done on this but it's interesting this you know that this comes up um you know, and, and because the genetic memory part was the part where Stephanie and I really laughed. But then she sends me the story this morning and we go, "Ooh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> so uh, so it's funny. But that's that's something else, too, is that, you know, the argument goes is that these aliens because like their other traits are is that they have this this really hard drive 
to get back or to get to outer space. And the argument is, is that they're trying to get back home, you know, because they are part alien um, and that they there's these other there's other aspects. There's there's a whole laundry list that Nick Redfern goes down of these different traits that RH negatives have. Now, I mean, obviously, like and that's another thing where I heard it's like, oh, they have this really crazy drive like this, this inexplicable drive to get to outer space. Yeah, I have that all the way. I mean, how many times do you have to hear me talk about outer space on Sovereign Tech that you don't know? You know, like I really have that, uh, you know, so like a lot of those things I'm, you know, I'm reading and I'm going, wow, that, that kind of fits a bill with me. You know, I mean, like a lot of the different aspects that they brought up. Of course, I don't believe that telepathy is actually uh, a thing today. So, you know, that, that obviously, like I said, I'm not agreeing with this guy, but. Point being, it's it's interesting. And and that little bit with the snails, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. You know, that that, oh, actually, <laughs> you know, maybe that's not such a crazy idea. But that I mean, that's that's a huge leap to go from, well, we can transfer RNA and snails tails do a funny thing to saying, oh, there's people that have genetic memory. Right. That's that's passed down through their genes. That, no. <laughs> OK. Yeah, that that claim isn't even ready to really to be, you know, to to be backed up or made. All right. So anyway, uh, so Bloodline of the Gods, again, the book's about three years old now. Uh, there haven't been any updated editions or anything like that. Nick Redfern has other works that are a little more journalistic, not so much scientific as far as this goes. Um, again, he's not the craziest of the bunch. And I really do appreciate I think there's points where he was disrespectful, particularly with a lot of uh, abductee or quote unquote abduction victims, quote unquote. Okay, I put that in quotes because I don't think there's aliens and I don't think a lot of these people were abducted. Um, You know, there's points where he's disrespectful, but then I also appreciate that he's very respectful towards Sitchin's work, which doesn't get enough respect even within the ancient alien community, because I think some of Sitchin's work is so brilliant. It is so on point. Uh, and again, I don't believe, you know, I don't agree with aliens, but I think that there's a lot to take from that, uh, that people ignore. So I, I give Nick Redfern a little bit of credit for that and for coming up with an original, I think it's a fairly original idea, or at least one that I hadn't seen or heard anywhere else. And I read a lot of these kinds of books, you know, these like alternative archeology, span alternative history style books, uh, you know, that are supposedly nonfiction, supposedly. So yeah, Bloodline of the Gods, uh, check it out. If I were to give it a rating, I mean, the, the four, those four chapters, I'd give them five stars. You know, the, the last two and, or yeah, the first two and the last two, I'd give those five stars. The middle stuff, I'd give like two or three, you know, like, I, and hell, I, no way I wouldn't give it two. I'd give it two, or I wouldn't give it three, I'd give it two. Um, so overall average, maybe it's a three-star book. I don't know if I'm going to do stars. There you go. There's kind of my, my Amazon review, I guess. <laughs> Um, and the narration is like it's a British guy. If you listen to the audiobook, it's a British guy and it's interesting narration. Very listenable. And, you know, if you're like me and you can listen at like two point, you know, two point oh or two point three or two point five X, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth digging into, even though it's only a three, because like those those initial chapters are very interesting. And if you're ne- if you've never I mean, again, this book actually would probably be a four or five if you've never heard like Sitchin's theories or you've never heard a lot of these different abduction stories or like been introduced to the ideas of like black eyed children. And I'm not even going to get into that. And reptilians, because I think that's that's just nonsense. <laughs> but uh, but if you've never heard any of these things, well, all that can get very interesting, uh, you know, when you when you listen to the book. Um, and but, yeah, those four chapters are totally totally worth worth the price, um, I think, because it's, it's really original, very unique stuff. 
So anyway, there's my review of Bloodline of the Gods. I hope you found it interesting. If you want more of this kind of content, give me a heart on Patreon for this uh, or, you know, type underneath, uh, you know, underneath the post and let me know that this is the kind of thing, you know, you're interested in a lot more of these. I am definitely going to do a review of Order of Time. Um, I still have to do a review of The Mana Machine and I'll probably do a review of Chaos uh, a couple of James Gleek books I might actually do a review of. Um, so we'll get into that. Actually, you know, it'd be awesome if I could do a review of Order of Time with Ellen. That would be really fascinating. I'll talk to her about it uh, and we'll make we'll make that happen. So anyway, uh, whew, that's it for this little bit of Patreon content. Of course, your Wednesday Q&A is coming out and your live Hangout Q&A, I think, is actually going to be this Sunday. But look out for the official post for that. Um, let's see. This Sunday would be... That would be the, tw- uh, wow, the 20th. Holy shit. May's almost over. Okay. So maybe the 20th, uh, that that'll be, you know, when we do our live hangout Q and a, um, and got some other fun stuff happening this week. You've got your star Trek update to come out. You got your star Wars update to come out that we do with Robin. That's going to be awesome. Uh, just lots of great times and other, other really cool content. Um, some tech content actually to come out here very soon. Um, anyway, all right, that's it for, for this episode. I will see all of you on the other side. Woo. And remember, Remember, it's not aliens. No, fucking really, it's not. All right, other side. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) 